Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And now that heart is beating fast And that's the rhythm I can dance to I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to That one big heart that's beating fast Tomorrow morning let it rain Tomorrow morning let it pour Tonight we're in the groove together Ain't gonna worry about Stormy Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out all trouble and Welcome to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Dale Bridge. I am very pleased to see you in the studio to keep me in check. How are you? I'm, I'm reasonably well, Joe. And, How how's, and how's the Emperor Taoist business? Um, good. Dowager, I should say. As you can see, I've got new teeth. Oh. I did notice that. <laughs> yes. So but, but it's not the type of thing you say to a young woman, you know, you've got new teeth. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's been something that's been ba- struggling. I've yeah. been struggling with for a while, yeah. and I yeah. managed to, you yeah. know, get my teeth fixed. Yeah. So. But, but Dale, mm. I've actually never noticed. That's because I've been—I haven't been smiling for a couple of years now. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> I've never noticed. You, t- you tell me one day, I'm really worried about my teeth. And I said, I haven't, haven't noticed, but I'm, I'm not the, that type of bloke that looks at a girl's no, teeth. No, I appreciate you know? That's one of the things I love about you, Joe. That's right. I'm just, <laughs> just totally oblivious to society. Well, we do have a live guest, and we must thank our new producer. We do have a new producer. Well, a junior producer. Dale is the senior producer. But we've got a person out there fishing for Vic. Sorry, for guests. <laughs> And so thank you, Andy. We've, we've got a guest. The guest we had piked out. So we've got a new guest. <laughs> Vivian Langford. How are you? Very well, thank you, John. Now, I'm sure Dale, as the producer, the senior producer, <laughs> the one who gets the glory, not like Andy the Clydesdale, has told you how this <laughs> program works. We ask two questions. Okay. There's no, do you play a musical instrument? No. Do you sing? No. Oh, oh I, yes, I do. I played the recorder and I do sing. You do? Yeah. Well, well, then we'll get you to sing during the program. Okay. Because we've got 56 minutes to yeah, fill. Yeah, to fill up. How do we you have, do? We have no community announcements, which is naughty, but we don't do them. No, Andy was very, no very con- confident that I'd be able to entertain you, but I'm not so sure I'm radical enough for you. Vivian, you don't have to entertain us. All you have to do is spill the beans. (laughs) That's entertaining enough. Now, the first question, which will take you about five seconds to answer, is, uh, and this is just to orientate listeners, what year were you born? Oh, I'm not going to tell you that. Well, were you born before the 1950 or after 1950? Or around 1950? I'm a certain age. You're a certain age. Okay. Now, can I ask you, have you seen a little bit of life in your time on the planet? I sure have. Good. Well, that means you're an old person. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with being old, I No, no. And the second question, which we can take all 54 minutes to answer, is um, what's the first thing you remember about being on planet Earth? Ah, well, I do remember that. I used to live behind the railway station at Morven. My dad had a Where? shop. Morven. Morven Railway Station. Yeah. Yeah, in Melbourne. I grew up, I'm a Melbourne person. All right. But um, we had a shop there. It was a mm. newspaper shop. Mm. And I grew up there. And the Queen came to Melbourne. 1954? Well, I was on my dad's shoulders. I was right. probably about four or five. And yes. we stood yes. on Melbourne yes. Station and watched the train go by. And she yes. looked like the pictures you see of her with that golden dress yes. and wattle there yes. and very young yes. diamonds. And I was so enchanted. And it was just having my yes. dad there yes. sitting on his shoulders. And I saw that and I just thought... It didn't look real at all, but I just loved that moment, you know, in the darkness too. It was quite dark. Beautiful. Look, I've got a similar memory of mine's not as exciting as yours. <laughs> I remember being bussed from my primary school, oh. and I didn't speak English at that stage, into this huge stadium in Brisbane. Oh. And there were thousands of us little beggars, you know, flying things. And this black car 
went round the oval and this hand came out and waved. <laughs> so I didn't actually have that. Oh, that's when I became a Republican. That's right. And that's when you became a monarchist. A monarchist, yes. <laughs> yes. It didn't melt your heart. You didn't see her up close. <laughs> no, no. Mate. And I thought, <sighs> what's all this about? And when yeah. I, you know, I asked my parents, they just shrugged their shoulders being migrants. <laughs> they didn't know. They didn't care. <laughs> All right, so what's it like living in Malvern as a, as a youngster? Well, it was all the life of the shop. My dad got up very early in the morning to go and get the papers from the mm. uh, station, and I wasn't up then, but in later years when he got very sick, I did have to get up and do that mm. for him and get the papers, but the paper boys had to be sent off on rounds, and, and I felt like a little princess. You know, I was an only child, and I'd just sit up only on child, the... Yes, only yes. child, and I'd sit up on the bench while the boys were all counting out their papers, and Dad was this sort of big thing in their life. I think yeah. their parents sent the children to be straightened out by him really, to do a paper round, you know, yeah. it had to, had to be delivered. Make men of them. That's right. But then mm. later on, when I was a bit older, and I was at school and I had a dog, um, Dad used to send me to deliver the papers that they'd slipped up on, you know, that oh, I'd have this list of papers where they, you know, they had to send an Argus or the Age or that. And the other things were... Hang on. I'm interested in this. Yeah. This is very interesting because obviously the paper boy, he was yeah. a paper boy. Several paper boys. There was a squad of them. Yeah, yeah squads of them. They were a huge part of the city life. Yeah. They'd be everywhere selling yeah. papers. The paper, it wasn't rolled up in plastic, was it? Not. No. I don't How think was it rolled plastic up? was invented in no, those days. We didn't have takeaway oh. anything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't remember seeing plastic. No, no, no it was just rolled up. You'd go to the local Chinese takeaway with a pan. Yeah, Dad, right. I remember that uh, also with, a, with your own saucepan and they'd yeah. fill it up with um, takeaway. Yeah, yeah, yeah didn't yeah. have any boxes. That was, no, I wish no they'd boxes, go back to yeah. that. That'd be quite yeah. good. And you go to the fish and chip <laughs> shop or the butcher and you'd come out with newspaper. Yeah, all of them. Or, now I don't, this, this is going to delineate you and me, <laughs> Vivian. <laughs> this is the big delineator. Yeah. In your toilet. Yeah, newspaper. You had newspaper? Yeah. You're one of us. Squares. Squares, newspaper a, squares on a hook. Yeah, no, a bit of uh, string. Yeah, down. yeah, yeah, and you'd pull um, it down. That's right. And you that's could read right. them, the comics, like Ginger Megs and that's right. Superman well, yeah, and, well, and I think Archie. that's where the thing about reading comes, you know, for the oh, older generation yeah. when they're sitting on the toilet, <laughs> came as a youngster. Very pleasant, I yeah. know. I liked it. Yeah. Honeysuckle growing all around the yeah. outside. Yeah. And, anyway. that, and now the only decision you've got to make is do you get two-ply or three-ply, depending <laughs> on how good your fingers are. But it's a different no, no, that was a different era. Yeah, that was in Mar- now, can I, I'm just going to ask you to pronounce Malvern for me again. Malvern. Malvern. Yeah, Malvern Station. Malvern. Yeah, that's how we said it. That's very good. <laughs> I'm impressed. You what are did a you monarchist. Say? Malvern. No, 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 no. You didn't Malvern. I actually lived in Malvern. I looked after a house for a few months. <laughs> Malvern, you say? Malvern. I say Malvern. Malvern. Yes, well, I like yeah, well, Obviously, obviously. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> did you go to the local primary school? I didn't. I went to a school behind a church up in Wattle Tree Road. What? And it was, um, Catholic you know, school, wasn't no, it? No, no, it was a Church of England school. Mm-hmm. And Pri- as I, I was school. the only child I was sent to this school, and mm-hmm. it was really mm-hmm. torture because I didn't play with anybody. I was sort of the girl from the shop, you know, <laughs> from behind the shop. <laughs> so and you we really weren't up to the standard of the I other never was. was. A whole of my education was in that school. And I, whole went to, I went to the secondary school, that, and I never fitted in. The only friend I really had was Jewish, and she was an outsider because she was. Jewish and I was outside of us because I was from the shop. From the shop. So mm, and I was so. never allowed to bring anyone home because they might see, my mother's expression was, they might see how we lived. In What's the back so of wrong the with shop. how we lived? Yeah. So you never went to any birthday parties? I did. I did no? go sometimes to their parties, but I didn't yeah. ever we, we, invite we, anyone home. Were you impressed with the uh, decor when you went to the birthday party? I was party? amazed. Yeah, I was <laughs> amazed. One girl, her father was a top barrister and she mm. had a inner room he had an inner room and all it was all covered with time magazine mm. covers that was the wallpaper of his room, room that was his and room. i realized yeah. that he was a top barrister you know yeah. very important person yeah. but i was never in that world and so at school i was just sort of was in this um you know i, I hid in the library a lot <laughs> well, that's interesting a lot of our listeners hid somewhere yeah. in the library usually yeah. or the toilet yeah. we yeah. you know we had a lot of, we've had a lot of uh not just listeners, but actually yeah. people we've interviewed done the yeah. same thing. Yeah. So what? You just felt an outsider. 
Something like that. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. It no, wasn't no, no. tragedy or anything. Not as if people but beat you I've, up, I've always felt like this class problem. Mm. I've never felt a member of the middle class, though I sound a bit like it and I look like it, and I even get vilified for being a bit poshy type. You What's know? wrong I've, with being poshy? Well, because it doesn't sound working class enough. And I think, oh, well, hang on, but hang I never on. really you was accepted be, into that thing. You, you know? don't want to be a bogan, do you? No, no, I'm not. No, no, no. 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 Hey, no, I, it's I, not bad, I, I, but it's, I yeah, think it's activists. That, I don't like that. I was at a meeting. Yeah. We'll get on to climate change later. But I, I went to a meeting the other day, and this woman at Trades Hall, she yeah. said, "Oh, she said I just didn't get interested in climate change because I thought it was a middle class thing." And I thought, <laughs> "Hey, hang on! For hang 20 on. years, yeah. people have been starting oh, to these, these rev are, up about this. It's not just a class no, no, issue. They, they, these are these are upper class activists who think they're working class. Mm, you meet them all the time. Are, but I don't like they're, they're meteorites. They come yeah. and they disappear. Don't worry about them. You yeah. know, you've, you've been no, there for no, long. I've, I've navigated my life quite well, but you know. <laughs> but did, you, did you excel at anything in primary or secondary school? Yes, history. History. I loved history. His and her story. Yeah. And what did you like about it? I love it. I, well, I love the depth of it and mm. the detail and the mm. way you can go and read other books about mm. it and get a different story. Mm. And um, How it's not written in stone. No, yeah. it's not. It's, yeah. it's evolving all the time. Yeah. And I loved um, literature. I loved you know, yeah, books yes. and stories. And I was always getting lost in books, and I still do now yeah, because but, but of... Vivian, but Vivian, it, history was written in stone in those days. <laughs> it isn't now. Yeah. It was, wasn't it? You're 30 years younger than me. What I mean is when I was doing yeah. history at yeah. uni, like ancient Roman history, yeah. uh, you would do document extracts. Exactly, And, yeah. and they were, that you would get an extant piece of, mm. of writing, whether yeah. it be something chiselled into a rock, mm. and then you'd, you'd write <laughs> what you could glean from, from just that rock chiselling. So, one, it meant they had tools to chisel rocks. You know, so whatever the writing it itself meant, meant yeah. they had a language that was um, well enough established that, you know, so it's all the things, history is all the things you can glean from the artefacts. It, it, that's all it is, pure supposition. It's, it's yeah. not written in stone. Yeah. And that's what I found so fascinating oh, about yeah. it because it made it living well, history. Yeah, and the alternative histories, like the, um, we had an ancient history teacher like that, and she was really my favourite. She just looked like an old owl, you know, in the gown. Yes. And that's one value of that school. We had yeah. eccentric teachers, you know. Yes. Not that all teachers aren't eccentric, but she was especially like that. But she just lived in breath. I thought she was an ancient <laughs> Roman, really, because she looked like that. Yeah. She had a haircut like, yes. but like a bowl. Yes. But she gave us other texts like that. Here's another. Here's an alternative mm. view of this. Mm. And look at these letters mm. written by someone. And ancient history well, just seemed maybe, like real to me. Maybe it was mm. different in that private sector. I remember going to school oh. and I learned that Captain Cook discovered Australia. Mm-hmm. And I learned that everything was peaceful, and you know, I learnt what did I learn? I learnt all the kings and queens of Britain. I learnt all that. Yeah. Yeah. To me, history was chiselled in stone when I was a kid. But let's forget about that. So, you would have left high school in the late sixties, early seventies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Vietnam era. Yeah. Mm. See, I've worked out your age now, mm. so you fall into the trap. Well, I won't but that's all right, to it. You don't need to broadcast it. <laughs> so, you left high school. What did you do? I went. I got a scholarship and I went to university uh, oops, and yeah. I did history. Well, can I shake your hand? <laughs> scholarship boy to scholarship girl. <laughs> the Whitlam era. We're a product of that era. I know. Well, and wasn't it exciting? And yeah. that, that was a very fermenting time. I don't think I went to hardly any lectures because there was so much going on. What university did you go to? Melbourne University. What was going on? I thought nothing happened at Melbourne University. Oh. I thought it was all at Monash. What happened at Melbourne University in the 70s? I did all acting and... Acting? Uh, yes. I did you a lot of plays. Street, you weren't in street theatre, were you? No. Oh, yeah, we were with the, mm. with the Vietnam Moratorium. We did, yeah. uh, not, not Vietnam we did Vietnam with Dr. Kens, Jim yeah. Kens, and we went down the street and we did this terrific thing dressed in black pajamas and we were the Vietnamese people mm-hmm. and the other people in, in the troop would just be the mm-hmm. bombers and they'd yeah. bomb us and we'd lie down, yeah, we'd fall down dead and yeah. then we'd stand up again and I remember this day we went mm-hmm. down past Russell Street police station, 
where they were having a strike. Yes. They were on strike. I don't know what the police were on strike. More pay. There's more pay. And we had these little banners in our Vietnamese pajamas that we'd pull out <laughs> as we passed Russell Street Police Station, which said, more pay for police. Yes. And the police <laughs> were standing there looking really <laughs> disarmed, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, because we were on uh, their side momentarily and uh, we walked well, down. They were a little bit more physical in those days. Mm. Did you get to meet the police forces? No, but the no. public was terrible. One of my friends mm. in these pyjamas, you know, Vietnam, we, and we had white masks. We mm. were just the peasants. Of well, Vietnam. you would have been arrested now for wearing a mask. It's illegal yeah. in Victoria. No, no, you know they that. didn't arrest us, but um, one of my friends, a, a woman, because mm. the tempers were so high, people yeah. were so upset about it. Mm. And just down here in Flinders Street there, she, she had an umbrella and she laid around my friend's head, you know, yeah. and said, yeah. you girls, you don't do this. My son's over there and, you know, you... Mm. Mm. Traitors and all that. Yeah. It was very high. It was very stakes. Really. Very high stakes. I agree. Very high stakes. So, what did you study at university? History, history and English, and French. And I failed French twice, and I ended up doing Swedish. But this is because I was doing so hang much on, acting, hang on, and hang on, I was hang writing on, in Farago. Hang, oh, hang on. Yeah. Hang on. Swedish. Yeah. I never Swedish. met anybody who speaks Swedish except Swedes. I know. Where'd you learn Swedish? I had to do another language, so I did Swedish for well, one year. They have Swedish at Melbourne University. Yes. Mar- Marianne Bergren was the Swedish department. There was one teacher. <laughs> one teacher. And we all watched those films of Bergman and all that, you know. Oh, yeah, that was Very hip. slow films. Very hip. Yeah, Very hip. And you see these talking heads yeah, and you just right. go... You know, it, what you do to impress a partner, you'd take him to one of these Bergman <laughs> films like and you'd fall asleep <laughs> halfway through it. It was oh, black and no. white torture. Oh, talking yeah. heads, bleak talking heads. But I developed a love for Bergman and, and a lot of those Swedish what, things. What, ever since. No, 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 you're very platonic. He wasn't here. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, because we were trying to learn Swedish or mm-hmm. something to pass the subject, I think we did. My friend and I both had to do Swedish. We passed. Uh, but I failed French but then I'm, I speak French now and I love French and I've lived in Switzerland and all of that so French did continue in me though I didn't pass their exams you know? yeah, well, it doesn't matter so what did you graduate with um, a BA with English and History so what you went into teaching or something yes <laughs> But you shouldn't be so contemptuous. It was uh, I'm not contemptuous. Such, I'm I've not had contemptuous. such a good life doing that. I've worked for 40 years as a teacher. You know, no, I've I'd loved like, every I, minute I of like it. I would like to know? see a superannuation. Hmm. That's the beauty, isn't it? Hmm. Working for 40 years in one job. Yeah. Is, has well, not super, one place, but, but well, it was know, a bit fractured. You know, yeah, but, but that ka-ching, one, ka-ching as and the in super one, grows. Yeah, in yeah. one identity. But I'll tell you, mm. when I got out of that identity and into Beyond Zero and the, all that and radio, I suddenly thought... I feel liberated because I was very constrained. You know, you have to toe the line a lot. Well, you do because you're, yeah. you're a state employee, basically. Yeah. Or did you work in the private sector? I worked in several schools. I worked in TAFE and then mm. I ended up as a teacher of the deaf. Mm. But coming back to history and the, what you said about the <coughs> nut in stone, mm. I did lose my position in one school. Not, I didn't get sacked, but I was mm. moved from teaching history because I just at the end of one term said to the students, it was a girls' school, and I said, listen, we're learning about China, mm. and there's this picture of Mao Zedong, and it all ends in 1959. I think, you know, we, we, you should go away these holidays and, and study up and read up what's happened since. Mm. And I was called into the principal, and I was told I wouldn't be teaching history next term. I'd be moved over to English. And it was considered subversive to question the text and to want to give the the girls an alternative. I said, it's not an alternative, it's just, you know, an update. No. No. no, it doesn't happen. No, you're and right. The parents well, very, well, as um, you know, this is a free society, and, no, and nobody pays any price for taking a contrary position. You know that. Mm. You tell <laughs> that constantly, don't you? It was a small price to pay because I right. could be subversive in English too. So, when did you um, go to Sweden? I didn't. I You've never, never went been to Sweden? No. You're kidding, Vidal. No, I never got that far. You've ne- I've been to Sweden. Yeah, I, I know. I'd Sweden. like to go now, but I don't go anywhere now. But, I, but you know, uh, I didn't go there, no. Well, why don't you go anywhere? You're frightened or something? No, no. I, well, I don't fly anymore. You don't, and what, what do you I mean? Do you have wings or something? No, but I won't fly. I'd love to go to some of those places, but, but I'd, I won't do it now for what the carbon footprint. Fly? Because why should I? I can, I can stay in Australia. You know, you let, the, let the young ones fly. Yeah. When was the last time you took a plane? Mm, about five years ago. So that was a conscious decision you made, not yeah, to fly. Yeah, yeah. Well, can't you do an offset? Rubbish. Rubbish? No. You reckon they're, they're rubbish offsets? Yes, I do. 
It's just, yeah, it's totally. like it's like when somebody sees you on the streets yeah. and they haven't seen you for 20 years yeah. and they know you're an actress, they give you 10 <laughs> bucks and say, you know, keep doing the good work, yeah, you know, and, yeah. and, and keep walking. Same it's like thing. those things that Vatican used to have, the indulgences. Indulgences, you know, I like you know, indulgences. Give yeah. a bit of an offset. I've done all these uh, crimes and they can so give me a bit so of an offset. W- w- so you were an Anglican, but weren't you? I wasn't ever an Anglican, no. No? You're, I wasn't ever anything. No. You're religious? No. No. You don't believe in God? No. no I'll tell you another little story there. My father mm. went going back to the shop and that, and he only had Sunday off, mm. and he'd take me out and, and oh, golly. Uh, 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 don't worry about it. Let it ring out. Ring out. This is live <laughs> radio. We don't care about the phone. <laughs> it's live radio. Sorry. People know that this is live Radio. It's not pre-recorded. I wanted to it tell you that. <laughs> okay. This is one of my favourite memories of my father. Was he? He he put his suit on, and we'd go Sunday morning to mm. a different church every time. Not every Sunday, but you know, we'd go yeah, to a different to a one. Church. I had no idea Presbyterian, Methodist, well, Catholic, no. anything. I didn't know. And halfway through, you know, some sort of Bible reading or the sermon, my dad would just look at me and say, "Bullshit. A lot of rubbish, isn't it?" <laughs> And, and, and we'd walk out, and then we'd walk home, we'd talk about it, and I'd, he's walking on water, you know, you have to, and, and I got this thing from him, and then we'd get home, and my mother would have a roast dinner, I said, oh, lonely child, roast dinner for lunch, and the two things together, the roast dinner and dad sort of teaching me how to just sort of be independent. I just love that. I, I've never, I'd feel disloyal to him now if I signed I, up with I, anyone. I, I feel, I feel robbed. Do you? I feel robbed when you said roast dinner. Oh. <laughs> Being from a migrant family, we knew nothing about roast dinner. Oh, dinners, you missed out on I've missed out on mint the sauce. mint sauce. <laughs> it is. Mint you can sauce make up is, for it now. <laughs> well, I do. Mint sauce is wonderful. Yeah, I know. And I think it's the English equivalent of a Nobel Prize. Mint <laughs> sauce. It is. I can feel it running down my throat. <laughs> You know, with the dead animal as you slice yeah. it and you pour the mint sauce well, to kill the yes. taste. Yeah. All right. So, did you go overseas? You said you went to Switzerland. What did you go oh, to Switzerland no, well, for? I didn't know about climate change back then. No, no, no. I, no, we I went, went to, to South America first. Well, my excuse me, excuse me. Sorry. What year was that? 1971. Why would you go to South America? In well, it was in turmoil, the place. <laughs> Well, it's still in turmoil, but it wasn't as much in turmoil. Now I don't think it was especially in turmoil. Oh, it was. Yes, there were. Yeah. Well, it was in turmoil while I was there as well. No, no, they had a revolution in Bolivia while I was there. I was there, and the people at the inn or guest house where we were staying said, oh, you better just go over the mountain for a while. It'll all blow over. And in fact, it did. Right. (laughs) (laughs) We just hid in another town. Because I got married to this Swiss person in Australia, and he was very French-speaking, and my relatives all thought this was like the end of the world that I would have, you know, found this guy. And anyway, he was a kind of artist. And we went to Switzerland via South America. To live there? Oh, yes. That was the plan? Yes, that was the plan. plan. It didn't work out. Well, no, he hadn't done his military service. He never wanted to do it. And they caught up with him. Yes. Yes. And we only stayed there two years, but, you know. Yes, well, I've got Swiss friends, and uh, when I was up there in the 90, early 1980s, they were conscientious objectors, which you cannot be in Switzerland. You've got no. to use four to no. six weeks every year. And so they actually, the cupboard. they actually left Switzerland and went to live in Portugal. Yeah. It's the only way. Yeah, well, he's... So, so what did you think about this? You, 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 here's your partner being pulled away to military service. No, he didn't go. He, he didn't, didn't go. go. We just left. You just left. <laughs> and we went back to South America. We lived in Mexico then. And Mexico. I was a teacher in Mexico. A teacher and what? Uh, teaching English, yeah, right. teaching right. English, yeah. and uh, I love Mexico, and and it was very interesting and very culturally diverse. All these different areas you could go to every weekend, go to a different mm. area, different language, mm. different pottery, different. Ex- it was extremely friendly too. Mm. Did you ever feel unsafe in South America in the seventies? Well, it's weird. I must have been so young I didn't notice the danger, but I I I think yeah we hitchhiked around as well. And there were there, there were there was mm-hmm. there were crosses all along the road, and, and, and obviously buses were? had fallen over the side. <laughs> but I didn't seem to. I just didn't feel frightened. But I no. but I did once. He he my this husband of mine. He was a sort of a bit of a kind of a. Well, I don't think this worked out. This marriage. <laughs> no, no, it didn't. But, well, you know, it lasted about ten years. But he. Yeah. 
he was in a bus station and a fellow took out a... Um, a knife. A, no, yeah. he didn't take out a knife. He, he threatened a woman and oh. Robert went up to him and said, you know, you shouldn't speak to a woman like that. And I was a long way down the hall mm. of this big bus station and I saw him, this guy, <laughs> shaking like yeah, that yeah. and he had a pistol, <laughs> this pistol. And I sort of slow motion yeah. ran back and the other people in the crowd pulled him off and police came and and then on the bus to the school the next Monday I said this terrible thing happened and all and I told Roberto and they oh Roberto, Roberto. I said yes it, it, it baffles me that this happened and they said well, Mexico is a very dangerous place a lot of us are pistoleros you know we go on, on actual contracts yeah. all right I said but you mustn't think badly of us you mustn't dislike yeah, us yeah, yeah, yeah. pistolero it's a, a long traditional yeah. Spanish speaking world that's right Honourable, in a way. It was an honourable. It, it came from. To it a wasn't large random crime. It was for deliberate yeah, purposes. It, it came from the um, uh, before the Spanish Revolution, when there was a lot of uh, ferment, and each side would actually hire pistoleros mm. to kill prominent figures on the mm. other side. And Duriti, who was a very prominent anarchist in the Spanish Revolution, started his life as a pistolero. Ah. Uh, so it, it was an honourable tradition. It's a little bit like the mafia when it first started. Now, let's get him back to you. We don't want to talk about the mafia. No, no, no. You know, no. So I, I would like to interview somebody from the mafia, but yeah. I know you're not. I know I'm not. No, so no. so <laughs> when, the, when this marriage kind of disintegrated. Did, yeah. did you have any kiddies yet to worry no, about? No, no well, we didn't the... have children by then. Hmm. So well, what did you do? Did you keep well, teaching? Well, then I really did want children. That was one of the reasons that we didn't continue to be married because I was starting to put pressure on us. I was saying, mm. I'm 30, I, I think we should have children, I want children. Mm. He didn't really want to. But um, I fostered a boy then mm-hmm. and, and I was still teaching, like all this time I'm teaching. And you were single at that stage? Then I was single. So yeah. I fostered this boy from an organisation called Stretcher Family mm-hmm. and they were the best thing. They were kind of non-government and they just did this training and sussing out the people and he stayed with me from the age of 14 till when he left home. And he was really a wonderful experience because he was very bad. He did dreadful things with this social worker came every week to talk with us. <laughs> and she'd talk to him and, and she'd say, you go and walk around the block vision for half an hour and come I mean, she's talking to him. We'd, we'd settle, the, uh, settle our arguments. And I thought, if only, you know, every family had someone like this. A suit. social worker. Social worker just comes, hey, what, what's going on? Helps, you know, and I, uh, I tried uh, to ground him and then I'd, he was gay and that was uh, why his family, Catholic family, had sort of rejected him. And I'd go down to these pubs in Sydney the, where he'd be all night yeah. and I'd, you know, I'd be confronted, but I just was determined to. You know, mm, hold mm, him in, mm. you know, his childhood at least, you know, right. 14, 15, 16. Yeah. And he continued to go to school mm-hmm. and he went on and then he died of AIDS. He had AIDS right. in the end. But mm. in, that was just the AIDS era and Sydney seemed to be like the hub of it. Yeah. Epicenter, and, and, and where I lived was just, you know, Darlinghurst, Sydney there. Mm. It just was such a lot. And he went to, he had so many friends who were falling like flies, but very quickly, you know, mm. they died quickly. Yeah. And he was one of the younger ones, so he, um, the beneficiaries of the um, mm. medication that what they brought it, in. What was his name? Matthew. Matthew. Okay. Mm. And so, what he'd been about twenty, would he, when he died? Or no, no, no. He lasted till he was about thirty-five. Thirty-five, mm. right? With the medication. But, yeah, yeah. But he was very poorly yeah. towards the end. But he had that medication. That, I forget what you call it, but it was sort of um, right. to, you know. Hold you. Hold you in, yeah. Mm. Keep, keep your white cell count Keep up. your life, yeah, mm. yeah. Look, it's uh, 4.29. We're oh. chatting with Vivian Langford. <laughs> and uh, she's got an extraordinary story to tell us. <laughs> See, everybody's got a story, Vivian. Yeah. And everybody's radical. They don't realise it. <laughs> we all, I mean, I would never afford a fostering a child. Here you are, yeah. 30, <laughs> and you're fostering a child who's got issues, you know, yeah. major issues. I oh. mean, that, that's, that's an extraordinary thing to do. What made you do that? Well, I wanted children. I wanted a family, you know. Right, right. And what did you go to Sydney for? I mean, you were born in Melbourne. What, oh, how come you ended oh. Up in Sydney? well, that was because of the first husband who wanted to live in Sydney. He thought oh, right. Melbourne was too boring, you know, <laughs> not <laughs> French, you know. And uh, <laughs> not liked, French enough. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he, he liked Sydney. Oh, that's how I ended up in Sydney. And, yeah. Well, that was it. Mm. Mm. No, but 
but mm. he was out of the picture then. So when Matthew came to live with me, that was that was a good time. I mean, it was tough, mm. but, but with that social worker, she just kept him a little bit uh, with some idea of rules, what's fair, and 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 he grew up and he became my greatest friend and ally. You know, as an adult, he was mm. great. And then, good. Oh, mm. that's good. I mean, it's like gardening, isn't it? Yeah. You put in the effort, you get the return. Well, I don't know. It's not always like that. Fostering's not easy. A lot of children go through foster family after foster family. They just can't. Well, the people can't manage. They don't manage. Yeah, it's yeah. really very sad because it, yeah. it's it's not just like gardening. It's not well, guaranteed. No, no, it's not. Well, gardening's not guaranteed. Oh, well, perhaps not. <laughs> it's not guaranteed. I yeah. mean, obviously the consequences aren't as dire, but I'm just yeah. saying if you do, if you try... Sometimes you get a you get a return. Yeah. If you he was try. a wonderful person, and it was mm. just marvellous to see him come out. Mm. You know, as an adult, then out of that. Mm. So, how, how did he support you? Well, I, well, later I got married again, mm-hmm. and um, I had two children. But I had the first one um, when I was forty, my mm. first child, and. This Matthew came back one day. It was raining outside, and I had nappy sort of drying. We didn't have a dryer, mm-hmm. and they were drying over chairs or something. And I was still in my dressing gown, my hair all stupid. And he came in, and he just said, "God, you're a mess. You hopeless. Can't <laughs> you even?" He said, "You're okay with it." Teenager like me, <laughs> you can't manage a tiny little baby or a little toddler. And Jerry had the baby had all the uh, pots out of the, the cupboards and the houses, and the rain coming down outside. And I just was feeling miserable. And he just said, "You go and have a shower, do your hair, for God's sake. You look a mess." And um, you know, uh, I'll I'll fix the kid. And he yeah. <laughs> shoved all the saucepans back in. And yeah. Roll reversal. Rah, Roll wow. Reversal. And I just thought, you you just. Did it because he yeah. could speak to me like that. I could yeah, yeah, take yeah. it from him, so he yeah. fixed me up. All right. And he was always on my side, so yeah. it was great. So, what's it like being a mother for the first time at forty? Yeah, well, the doctors loved it because I had a younger husband. My second husband was ten years younger than me, right. and the doctors said, "Oh, almost purring. This is wonderful." I said, "Well, how do you work this out?" I said, well, you know, practically all the negative effects of your age are mitigated by his age. <laughs> Really? I never... Anyway. It doesn't work that way. I had this terrible preeclampsia and right, I yeah, blacked little... out in the hospital and oh, was, had perfect, to, I had to be yeah. in there for yeah, ages, you know, before the child was born. Well, you don't want a routine birth. That's boring. <laughs> no. You know, you want all the preeclampsia, you oh. want the slow heart rate, <laughs> the urgent... Did you have the, the emergency... Death experience? The emergency cesarean? No, it wasn't. I was totally <laughs> planned from day one, <laughs> one. the cesarean. <laughs> Day one. Yeah. Right. And so my mother, who was a nurse, I was saying, oh, I've done your mother's some... still around then? No, no, she, she was still around then, yeah. yeah. And she said to me, you've got to agree with your doctors. You have to do what they say. I said, well, but I've done all this reading about caesareans. <laughs> There's too much, too many caesareans, as you know. I've oh, been reading no. about this in the paper. And she's, don't, don't believe a word of it. Just go along completely <laughs> with what your doctor said. And it was good advice because I didn't contradict the doctor and he did yeah. a very good job. Good job. Yeah. And, cool. um, because you know, there was two two people you got to worry about. I was lucky about. though. Yeah. I two, two people you got to worry about. There's you and the baby. I know the it baby was looked like a Buddha when it came out of me. They have a little <laughs> curtain in front of you, and you're lying there. Only half of you is anaesthetized, so you're, you're quite <laughs> conscious. And this little baby could look like the Buddha, the, the face Buddha. of the Buddha, the smile on his face. Oh, Beautiful. Fancy being born like that. And you thought you'd go for a second? Yeah. Go. Another caesarean? Yeah. Mm. How, how long in between? Two years. Two years. Mm. And uh, ever regret having those children? Golly, no. No? No. No? No. Not, not, not once? No. Good. Gosh, why? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm the one who wanted family, you know. Yeah, I'd yeah. saved up to have these children, children. you know. Yeah. I took time off from work. This is before maternity benefits or anything. Yeah, I saved yeah. up and, and we had... Those two children, I didn't work in that time. And that's how I got into doing, not really climate in those days, but I started doing this environment stuff. Right. But as an older mother, I want, to, I want to go back to this. As oh, an yeah. older mother, do you think you actually make uh, a better mother in terms of understanding no. this? Or do you think no, it's no, no, because no. of the I, physical limitations it's difficult? No, my kids are nice enough to say that it, it's okay, but I think it would have been much more fun for them if I'd been fun myself, right. which I would have been when I was 30 or 25 or something. Oh, yeah. 
But at 40, you're not fun. Yeah, and if, on top of that, being a school teacher, uh, now how many years was I a school teacher? I was constantly looking for danger. Don't do that. And can't we do that? And can't yeah. have a dog because you might run under a car. And you can't. You know, I was totally risk averse and very conscientious. You know, so yeah. well, you look conscientious. Yeah, I am. You know, you're the type of person I'd like to be in my funeral <laughs> celebrant. You know? Why? Well, you do. You do a good job. You know, conscientious. <laughs> You, you know, you, you gloss oh. over the, all my faults. And, yes, you know, right. you're that type of person. That's it's right. very nice. I've decided that. Sweep you know, them under the carpet. So look, I'll, I'll, I'll I call you if I need you. Well, you weren't born in you Malvern. Yes, Malvern. <laughs> Malvern. Yeah, all right. Okay, so when did you give up teaching? When? Mm. Oh, well, well, my mother got very sick back right. down here in Melbourne. So yeah. in the last few years... She had macular degeneration. She was a stoic. She Mm. was really battling on. But when she got that, she started to fall and, Mm. you know. So she had to live in, stay in a hostel. And it turned out to be quite nice there. They were good. But I was in Sydney, so I'd come down every Friday, or not every Friday, but quite often on a Friday night Mm. on the night train. That's when I did take the night train and weekend here, go back, dash to work on Monday. Uh, I could do that, but... Hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm confused here, Vivian. Oh. Remember, I'm an old man, so oh, you know, give, yeah. give me a break. I mean, old women well, I'm, are... I'm old too. Yeah, but old women are much more stoic and oh. strong and intelligent. Us oh. old men, we, we, we she, need to she be really was. Now, you used to catch a train yeah. on Friday, Yep. come to Melbourne, Yep. look after your mum, Yep. catch a train... Sunday go, night. Yep. Sunday night, yep. go back to yep. Sydney... Oh, and then go to school? Yeah, did that for from years. From the train, from the train. Yeah, I did, yeah, and sometimes the train was late, which is terrible, you know. Anyway, no, many, but many, I did that a, for quite a few years. How many years did you do that for? Mm, oh, four or five. And then she died. Hang on, hang on, hang on. How long ago was that? Oh, ten years ago. Ten years ago. Mm, All right. Yeah, but then I was working and... And they still, I was in the French school by then. I started, mm. I moved to the French school. Right. And they were very nice to me. But um, towards the end of the, you know, I took some time off. That's why I took compassionate leave off right. towards the end of her mm. life. She was well into her 90s. She really right. lasted a long time, but mm. this blindness and everything. Um, and then she was on the way out. So I took a term off and I stayed here. And... Um, and then she died. And in, in that time, I had got involved with Beyond Zero Emissions. By then, I was going to climate conferences when I could or, you know, hearing on, about it on. and reading about hang it. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Probably not going to climate conferences yeah, until yeah, she yeah, died, but I yeah, can't yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah, hang on, I'm confused I'm, again. I'm confusing myself. Yeah, I can't I'm, quite I'm remember the sequence simple. of things. Yeah, but no, when she died, sequence. I was involved already with the Beyond Zero people, and they just <laughs> parachuted me into here to do their radio show. That's no, how it happened. No, 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 no. Please, please, please. I've got, to, I've got to fill an hour. All right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, goodness, this guy's not going to help you. She doesn't exist, you tell no. me. No, that's so, right. So we got, don't look at your phone. I'm turning it off, That's Joe. rude. I'm that turning so it rude. absolutely off. That off. is so rude, Vivian. Yes, I never so it doesn't you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remove the invitation to be my funeral <laughs> celebrant. That's, oh, you'll be looking at your phone during I'm the ceremony. I'm turning it off. No, I can imagine you know, the rings. phone would ring and say, oh, yes, God, yes, no, we don't want him here. He's going to hell. I can imagine. All right. Okay, so uh, what's this Beyond Zero garbage? Garbage. When, when did you get involved in this? I got involved with them when I started to be worrying about climate change. And I excuse read a book me, by Monbiot called Heat, and that got me worried. So I got You in- got worried? Yes. How old were you when you started getting worried? I'm not telling you my age, Joe. Well, like well, I was ten in- years ago, you got worried. Yes, yes. You got worried. And I'm elderly now. You got yeah, worried? Yeah. I got, From a book? Yeah. Just reading a book worried you? Does, does, doesn't worry well, you. Well, how, how, about, how about if I give, you, I give you the Koran or the Bible or the Torahs? Would you get worried yeah, if you read it? they're quite worrying books. Oh, yeah. But, no, but this was a marvellous book, and I was talking to Beyonce, so I was volunteering with them while I'm looking after my yeah, but mother. Who are they? The, it was a little think tank in um, Kindness House up here in Brunswick. You know, Kindness House. Yeah, it was called Kindness House. Some philanthropists gave it to all these groups. Yeah, Sea Shepherd were there, yeah, yeah, and yeah, a lot yeah. of them. They all had a little hold in the office. How did you get involved with this crew? I met them at a climate conference in Sydney or somewhere. Why were you going to climate conference? Because for? I was worried. I told you I read the book by Monbiot. And that worried you? Yes. And 
I, I shouldn't have to explain it to you. I well, you're not explaining it to me. I'm just a <laughs> conduit to millions of people listening to you, okay? Oh, right. This is the what I'm trying to do. The book was called Heat, and yeah. it was about climate change and how there's you can actually solve nearly all the problems of climate change except cement and flying. And I was then involved with Beyond Zero Emission. I was going volunteering with them. What were you and doing? And they were publishing all these reports exactly saying the same thing. That but we, what, what we were can, you doing? I was doing clerical work, I ringing up all the radio stations to see if they were taking their radio program and... You're one Help. of these serial pests, all right. Okay. Yeah, Climate helping with their research pests, and everything. I was, I, was, I was smitten by the whole idea that, that right. in fact, if you had all the blueprints, you know, you could put it into action. But, of course, what all of those people and I, too, didn't realise is that, you know, government's not going to actually implement something rational just because you put it on their desk. Right. Well, but what are the kids doing? Are they shrugging their shoulders and saying, that's mum? My kids had grown up pretty much by then. Yeah, but what did they think home? about their mum getting... Kind of They've always just laughed at me. They just always laugh at me. They wouldn't be climate deniers, but they would honestly <laughs> think it's just a little niche interest of mine, like, right, right, you right. know, croquet. Oh, no, that's what mum does. Yeah. Crochet or something. Some, some crochet mum does. Mum tries to save the planet. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they just deliberately don't take an interest in it. They don't? No. That's, no. That's and they happens. fly everywhere. They fly you all the time. They're both flying down here soon. Yeah, you realise that's the to see me. radical parents pay. It's horrible. I because know. the kids revolt and they become accountants and priests. I know. You know that. And they, and they take religion if you're an atheist. Yeah. It's the way. No. It's, it's the way. too bad. All that education you give them and they just sneer at it. Well, no, no. They've accepted it. <laughs> they realise education is there. They need to make a buck. <laughs> and, you know, they, they just say, oh, poor old mum, she's yeah. just stuck in this little, yeah. little, little you know, cul-de-sac right. yeah. intellectual. And now all these exciting young people exactly their age are all dancing around in the streets and, and making it very cool yeah, to but, be but they interested come, in climate suddenly. They, very they all come from conservative families, <laughs> not radical families. They're revolting. <laughs> they don't care about climate change. All right. Okay. So you got really involved. Yeah. All right. Now... You said you were parachuted somewhere. What? Did, into, you told me you don't fly. No, What's going into on? here, into 3CR. Because what? one, they had a program here on Mondays. No, hang on, hang on. You can't be parachuted into 3CR. The <laughs> garden's very small. You get caught on the building. Well, it was just an expression, Joe. But, you know, I was working in their office and helping, and they said, oh, we haven't got anyone for the radio show next Monday. Can you help out? And I didn't how, know what to do. How and long I ago was this? When I started, well, 10, years I ago, start. 10 years ago, 10 years ago, 10 years ago, okay, I've been doing right, this. Right. Dale trained me. Dale was my first teacher here. Dale, are you responsible <laughs> for did this the training woman course. being on radio? I'm happy to say I might have taken a little bit of a hand in it. You did. She what taught she, me what editing she, and everything. What was she like as a student? A bit slow because she's elderly? Or? <laughs> Au contraire, mon ami. <laughs> Au contraire, mon ami. Do we do, we do, this, do, we do it in French We now? can all lapse into French now. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. <laughs> uh, she was a good student, was she? Yeah, well, absolutely. Fast flying colours? Yes, and, um, you know, that's the thing. If you're interested, then you're automatically a good student. <laughs> so, you know, if you're interested in what you're studying, you're automatically uh-huh. a good student, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Yeah, and you're interested for a very good reason, because <laughs> Beyond Zero is a fantastic and necessary national program. Thank you. So, but yeah. I, I remember saying to Dale once, I couldn't believe how much time editing took. And I said, I think it must be just me. I'm just old. I just can't do it. It took me about five hours to do yeah, this little thing. And she said, come on, join the club. That's what it takes. It does take that time. And so she taught me a good lesson. I often remember you saying that. I get sucked into the <laughs> editing zone. And I can yeah. spend 10 hours on oh, something oh. that's only going to be 15 minutes on air. Yeah. You know? No one will appreciate it, but you, no. you know. <laughs> this makes me sick. Oh, don't worry. We'll stop talking. I feel, about it. I feel nauseous. <laughs> I mean, we do a live program. We yeah. have no editing. <laughs> Phones ring in the middle of the show. <laughs> you know, we laugh oh, and sorry. we carry on. We don't have a cough button. No. And uh, Dale's forgotten where the uh, dump button is. So, <laughs> you know, we just, we just chat and carry on. And then I see people like you yeah. doing Beyond Zero, spending hours, oh. finding interesting, not saying you're not interesting, interesting <laughs> guests, phone oh. them overseas, yeah. editing every word. Oh, yeah. oh I, feel, I feel sick. <laughs> Why do you do it? It's actually fun. I love that. What, I editing? Love, mm. I love doing it. And now, because I live in Sydney, as you know. I've oh, hang on, no, no, no. You told me you lived in Melbourne. Now no, no, I grew up in Melbourne. <laughs> but you live, I you're still left living Melbourne in Sydney. for South America. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Came back. All right. 
and Vivian, landed in Sydney. Now, now, now this, this we need to explain to our listeners. Yes. Our listeners are like me, yes. they're slow, okay? <laughs> they're very slow like me. Yeah. Now, you run a program here, Beyond yeah. Zero on 3. So when's yeah. it on again? Mondays, 5 p.m. 5 p.m. Mondays, yeah. and you'll be doing this for 10 years. Yeah. It's a one-hour program. There's a team, there's a couple of yeah. others who... Yeah. But you're the head honcho, obviously. Mm, I don't know. But you're the senior. Management you're, the, you're, you're the senior. Non-hierarchical running. No, 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 but you're the senior presenter. I'm senior. I'm definitely senior, yes. Time. Yes, right. definitely. Okay. All right. And it comes out of studios here at 3CR yeah, in Melbourne? Yeah. And it's broadcast by the Community Radio yeah, Network yeah. nationally? I don't think the Monday program is broadcast nationally. I think it's only the um, podcast that you can get podcast. of the Monday program. It's oh, Friday right. program. What do you mean Friday program? There's a What's Friday program on technology, which is more, you know, head, hard-headed sort of tech stuff. What do you mean? You do the soft stuff. And I somebody do the else soft stuff, yeah. But look how it's turned out to be so important, the political side, the people who are thinking about it, the cultural side, yeah, the sensitivities yeah, all yeah, around. Yeah. It suddenly turned out at the beginning, as I said, we didn't realise that. We thought it will just be a matter of getting solar power and wind power and, yeah. you know, it'll, it'll all just happen here are the blueprints. Off yeah. you go. Yeah. But then it turns out how many obstacles have been yeah. in the path in our yeah. lifetime in the last 10 years. So, yeah. so you really actually think this is important? It's cultural. It's just culturally so interesting that yeah. how it's happened. But what are, right. okay. know, how do you influence now, culture? Now, did I Very see hard. you? Now, nothing personal here, Vivian. Don't take this personally. No. Did I see you on the steps of Parliament House <laughs> today badgering people? <laughs> That's at the Victorian State Parliament, yes. not the Federal Park. You badgering some poor bastard who's <laughs> starving himself to death. That's were you? right. <laughs> so tell us about it. What were you doing there? Well, I was there. I heard about it probably on 3CR that there was mm. this man. Then I saw it on the internet. Uh, he's been nine days, mm. and his name's Daniel Bleakley, and he's with uh, the mm. Extinction Rebellion Group. And apparently, he has just taken this idea that um, globally they're doing a fountain like a you know, deliberate sort of fasting mm-hmm. thing, and uh, he wanted to join it to make right. the real point to the parliamentarians. But um, he just seemed a very pleasant man. He he, he looked very gaunt, mm. and I think it must be that's a terrible mm. thing for your body. Yes. Nine days, it would be very harsh, mm. but and out in the sun like that. But he. He was sticking to it, and he said he was very buoyed up by the support he was getting because Extinction Rebellion were very keen on mental wellness and supporting each other. And uh, uh, he he just was disappointed that the parliamentarians hadn't come out. <laughs> <laughs> Don't laugh because it's really no, it's, it's severe. No, 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 hang on, A hang lot on. of people aren't as, as old as you and I who get the political you know cynicism going. You know, kind of just no, you've no, seen no, so no, much no, of it, on, you know on, how on, it is. I never but this man was kind of shocked you know yeah, but i never use the word they haven't cynicism come out oh, because well, we use, we're realists we're realists mm. we're not cynics we're realists mm. i mean why would they think that anybody in parliament would give a shit about somebody starving themselves for oh. 10 days mahatma gandhi had the whole indian nation sort of agog but this isn't India, this is Australia. No. We're more interested in what's in our hip pocket. It's pretty shocking to see a person it, putting themselves it is. in that much danger, right. really, right. deliberately. Yep. He said I could walk across the street and buy a sandwich. Now, and then no. he talked about how you know famine yep. in yep. a lot of countries, there's no choice. There's no That's choice right. that you have no food. So did you... He was did, quite aware. So were you interviewing him for zero emissions? Yeah. yeah. Right. And that will be, be on this next Monday? Um no, it might be on one of the breakfast programs because I'm not doing it next Monday. So you do a breakfast? Well, we're taking a week off or something. I well, I have a team. There's Erin and Kurt who do oh. other shows. I do out of six. They I do four and they do two. Oh, well, that's, so, that's unpleasant. That you got to share. No, we don't share in Radical Australia, do we? Do <laughs> Uh, every now and then I let someone else, um, you know. <laughs> well, I don't boy share. Boy, you? Yeah, I don't share. Oh, All right. No, but it is, no, it's, no it's, it's good. It's good to so have what, what a team. Do think, what do you think? Obviously, you've put in a lot of effort, especially in the last decade, yeah. uh, into climate change, climate emergency. Obviously, yeah. you think it's a real. You've made certain personal decisions not to fly. Mm. You take the train backwards and forwards, yeah, yeah. you know, from uh, Sydney to Melbourne, yeah. which is obviously uh, difficult. No. No? It's lovely you trip. like it? I love it, yeah. I love well, that you're a train nut or something. Yeah, I am.
And I loved, I loved meeting the people on the train and reading my book the whole day, having a book to read. And you look out, you see old canolas blooming or uh, something uh, is happening. You know, you, you, you see ha- the country. It's a beautiful you, trip. You have a book to I'm not, read. You haven't got I, things on your ears listening no, to an no, iPad or something. No, 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 no. I read a lot of books that way. Oh, oh. I always have. When I was still teaching, I used to do marking on the train, you know. Yeah, marking on yeah, the train. Yeah, I do marking essays. And I used to have students in a lot of country towns like Gunning. I had a student at Gunning and then mm-hmm. another one at Yes Junction. I used to think, if I knew I could just throw, the, throw their essays out the door, right. give them to the station yes. master, take them direct right. delivery. I'd have to get to Melbourne and post them. Right. I used to work for distance education. That was right. one of my jobs. So you're fully, re- I mean, <sighs> you're out of the paid workforce. At the yeah, yeah, You've got no yeah. intention of going back. No, no. It's a pretty disgusting area, isn't it, paid workforce? It's liberating not to be in it. Yeah. It's the mind control. I mean, I never had all the terrible conditions that they've got now. Mm. And I go to a lot of conferences and I'm horrified. You know, yeah. like a lot of workers now are just, it's just the grounds falling from under their feet yeah. and insecure. And it was started when I was in my last few years. It started the casualisation. That started at TAFE, you know, and they'd say, oh, one term, oh, oh we won't have so many hours for you next term, Viv. Um, well, why not? <laughs> like, you yeah. know, and then yeah. and the, you were on this kind of seesaw thing. That started, but that was nothing. It didn't affect me really badly. Mm. But nowadays the workforce is terrible. But I didn't like the mind control. I hated being part of the education department or towing the line, as I said, on history or, you know, having mind control like that. I I think that's very bad for the students that the teachers are so constrained, you know. Mm. So have you got any plans for the future? I know we all have plans, but has the sand ticks away uh-huh. everything comes a bit more immediate doesn't it yeah you got any plans or are you just going to do the same old thing to the day they take you out in a box but it's just not old you know I just find it so exciting mm. to be alive now with this as the climate I'm like <laughs> they won't have to take me out in a box to me civilization is going to collapse quite soon in you, the next 20 years that, I'll probably get to 90 of my you know the Mm. The traffic lights might still be working, but you know, I, I just feel that things are going to crumble very badly. And a lot of younger people are telling me that, you know, that they worry much more about it. I me. Mean, I, because I'm older, I haven't got such a long time to live. I am thinking, I'm excited to be part of it, to be part of, you know, mm. reading whatever comes out, meeting whoever I can. I never get tired of meeting all these people I do who are doing something. And it's new, it's always new. I meet people up in the country, I go up in the country a lot and meet these fathers and years ago like maybe seven years ago i go to some blockade on a you know big log across yep. their property lock mm. the gates and these ladies in pearls you know and and you know dowager duchess type of country yeah, com- your, your people Dale. <laughs> country type people uh, and they're sitting there you know with a log across their property and, yeah. and i'd interview them and then i'd hesitate and say well you know they want to protect their land and their mm. water and mm. the air but, but then i'd say what about climate change oh they say, oh no 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 that's that's too controversial. Wow. Um, and now I've interviewed one of those people, elderly, now really elderly. She is the dowager. And she's like, we've changed our tune, Viv. You've no idea. Liverpool Plains, it's marvellous. Fertile farmland. And, and we've, we've realised, the young ones have taught us, that climate change is, is, a, is a factor in this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, the people in government don't know, don't know that. The Univ- uh, New South Wales government's about to amend the law just as they've had court cases to, to say, yes, you take climate change into uh, um, account and ban this mine or ban this gas thing um, project, now the New South Wales Parliament wants to put an amendment where that is no longer a consideration. So they're going so far backwards, but the country people are coming forward and, and coming out with all these things, and they came just, we've had terrible bushfires in New South Wales, and, and uh, these country people all came and, and, and just... You know, blockaded the parliament uh, mm. about that. But do you think, look, what do you think is needed to see some real <sighs> change? Because we as a nation, we did make a decision less than a year ago to put these oh, people May, back into May power. May 18th, I know. Yeah, into power, whether, irrespective of what you or I think mm. or believe, the majority of the people decided that. The issue was franking credits. Yeah, that's right. All right. Yeah. And they did because they don't see climate change as an issue. You see climate change as an issue. You're retired. Mm. You're reasonably well retired. You're financially, I assume, stable. 
and you've got the time and the energy. But a lot of people are up to their neck in debt. I know. They are. And their work is insecure. Insecure work. No wage rises. Trade unions legislated out of existence. And they don't actually, haven't actually, their kids are starting to turn their heads in that direction, but Mm. they haven't changed. So what do you think we can do? Because as you said, logical argument doesn't seem to work. No. Um, Well, I think sheer massive numbers, you know, Mm. sheer numbers turn the tide, frighten governments. Governments don't respond, I don't think, to petitions. I think they do respond to pressure and they change their tune. And I've interviewed quite a few of them on the radio and I think, Mm. well, they're they're very shape-shifting. You know, they will shape-shift, but they need the pressure, Mm. international pressure. I think Australia is such a case because we're so rich in in fossil fuels. So, you know, we're like captive to the fossil fuel um, industries but the, I think international pressure might be, I don't know how it will work out mm. but I'm, I'm happy to see this sort of fairly innocent group of people, you know they're not politically aligned, no. they're kind of a mixture of people, young and old, all coming in but putting that physical pressure and that creativity, you know mm. that kind of creative mm. theatre like we did in the Vietnam thing, creative mm. you know, it's, you've got to start doing things in a, in a story making way so that it's a, something that people mm get you know as you as i said with the, the street yeah. theater in the vietnam yeah. time that was yeah. that that's that that Important. moved people now vivian i've got some very bad news for you yeah we've nearly run out of time oh, dear. and you haven't Have sung for us and you may not and you won't <laughs> need to sing unless you want to. i don't really want to no, I, I can't remember did. a song no yeah. i didn't think you did want to sing so have you got as an elder yeah as an elder who's got the wisdom of time. I'd love to be you know, The wisdom elder. of time. <laughs> time has given you and me yeah. wisdom. Yeah. As I say to my patients when I make a great diagnosis, I say, <laughs> don't thank me. Thank the pile of bodies next yeah. to me. I <laughs> yes. learned from my yes. mistakes. Yes. So have you got any parting words for the, our listeners, old and young? What about? Life. Oh, keep on the planet nearly 70 years. Give us some parting words. Well, I think everyone should read more. Get into novels, get into history, read more, get some depth, because I think fragmentation of your mind by all the media at the moment is serious. You know, people's minds are all over the place. And just that I, I do meditation and I read and I consciously read novels now to balance out all this horrific climate stuff I'm also reading. And I think yeah. you have to keep your life in balance. So that's, balance, harmony, yeah, that's reading. That's so radical. No, it's not. Understand. It's very old-fashioned. You know, learn, the, learn from the past to understand yeah. the present and yeah. change the future. Yeah. How radical. Oh, Thank no. you for coming on Radical Australia. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, hopefully in the next <laughs> few years uh, you'll get the just rewards for all the effort you've made uh, in terms of the climate emergency. Mm. Uh, I think uh, I'm very proud to be in the same studio as you. (laughs) It's not often we meet uh, wonderful people like you, Vivian. Thank you. Although I meet them every day at 3CR, but uh, I have to say (laughs) that. But thank you very much, and thank you very much, Dale, and listening to Radical Australia next week. And the program is podcast, Uh so you can listen to Vivian's dulcet tones for eternity.
someone who's doing a very brave thing here on the Parliament stairs. His name's Daniel Bleakley. He's been here for 10 days on a hunger strike. Nine days, oh well, coming up for 10, but that's an enormous amount of commitment. Daniel, tell us about your background. I believe you come from Claremont in Queensland. That would have a resonance with our listeners who know it's a coal mining area. Yeah, I grew up there. I've got lots of friends there. My, my parents still live up there. And uh, I really care about that community and uh, I did all my schooling there and then in 2001 I, I did an engineering degree in, uh, in Brisbane, mechanical engineering. It, it's obviously part of the Bowen Basin so there's coal, mine, uh, coal mines everywhere and a lot of the community worked, worked in the coal mine there as well. Well now you're here with Extinction Rebellion flags all around you. How did Extinction Rebellion sort of speak to you? After I left Clermont and, and moved to Brisbane and was, was studying engineering, I also started learning about climate science and, and reading books and, and so forth. And I got quite concerned back then. And in 2001, I wrote my first letter to a politician in, in Queensland about, about their inaction, really. And I got a really uh, rubbish response about... a. I think they wrote about a, a one megawatt uh, macadamia nut husk uh, power plant that they were planning on building. And because I was studying engineering, I knew that that was just garbage. And uh, yeah, I, I continued to do the right thing and sign petitions and write letters and, and do all those things. But uh, nothing's changed and our emissions just keep going up in Australia. So... Uh, this year, after some of the really dire reports that we've seen in the last 12 months, I decided to, to get involved with Extinction Rebellion, and it's one of the best things I've ever done. So for listeners, you think, oh, well, why doesn't he go through the normal channels? He's been doing this for 20 years, mm. going through the normal channels, and now on hunger strike. Tell us about that. How does that come up as the right thing to do? Well, I hadn't... I, I only heard about the global, it's, it's, it's actually a Extinction Rebellion global hunger strike which started on the 19th and I hadn't I actually hadn't heard about it until about uh, five days before it started so I wasn't planning on it but but once I saw that this was happening I just uh, decided that I, I, I should be a part of it. So it's really kind of a snap snap decision uh, yeah and I mean it's it's been very tough but I've managed to get a lot of a lot of publicity and spoken to a lot of people walking past on the streets, and we've been able to get to get the message out there and, and get the truth out there a bit more. Well, that is the first principle of tell the truth, and the uh, government. Yes, you've got it. Oh, yeah, you've got it pinned to your shirt. That's right, tell the truth. But this is so hard for governments to do that. They're so compromised. Have any of the parliamentarians come out and sort of sympathised with you? You're a fellow citizen, but how? they must think they're over a barrel and can't go as fast as we would want them to do. Yeah, I think that on the speed, first on the on the, the speed thing, I think that's a big misconception because our, our second demand is to, to get to net zero emissions by 2025 and a lot of people say, well, that's too too soon. But if we look at history, if we look at the Second World War, countries around the world transform their economies, transform their industries within six months to point them at the existential threat that was facing them. And this was before computers. So it's totally possible for us to, to do this. And if we do decide to do it, it will be, it has the potential to be one of the greatest economic booms in history during the transition phase where we need to, to build all this sustainable infrastructure, build the electric vehicles, Re redesign our uh, sustainable agriculture and so forth. So there's a huge opportunity here for massive jobs boom and massive economic boom in, as we step into the third industrial revolution. Yeah, well, Beyond Zero Emissions is the group I'm with and it's full of engineers there and they just, you know, it's just a marvellous challenge for them. I think they're glad to be alive in this era because they're putting out all these reports on just how to do it. Mm. We've just written one on... Um, transitioning a town in Western Australia called Collie, which mm -hmm. is probably like Claremont, based on coal, but they could transition to lots of other manufacturing that would suit the skill set of the people there. So, you know, I think it's 
to me it's an exciting time to be alive too if only we could get this lumpish inertia of parliaments mm. you know be behind it maybe cut through that do you feel that democracy as we've got it isn't isn't really fit for purpose how, how do you think this popular extinction rebellion method is probably cutting through better yeah i think it's got huge potential and that ties into our third demand which which is about um, that governments should set up a citizens' assembly so that we can go beyond politics because at the moment our political system is broken. We don't have a real democracy in this country. At the moment, around half of the MPs in the Liberal Party at the federal level have ties to the coal industry. So they're not making decisions in the interest of the people. They're making decisions in the interest of coal mining companies. That's not democracy. And when people like Clive Palmer can spend $60 million and influence an election, that's not democracy. So uh, the two-party preferred system that we've got and the, the representative system that we've got is failing us. But we see around the world where uh, countries have used citizens' assemblies, it's incredibly effective and incredibly representative because people are chosen at, at random and they're not beholden to the, the party line. And they're also less likely to be able to be influenced by lobbyists. A, lo a lobbyist can donate millions of dollars to a political party and then all the members of that political party have to show their gratitude to, to the lobbyists. Whereas with a citizens' assembly, you've, you've essentially got a whole bunch of independent thinkers with no ties to political parties and you get a much better decision-making process, uh, a much fairer decision-making process. You're informed by experts, which is what I feel our government doesn't see. The experts can't get through. Recently in New South Wales, we had these horrific fires, and in Queensland, South Australia, and here in Victoria, but, but the fire chiefs, you know, these people with all the knowledge in their head, they couldn't get a meeting. So I feel the information and the knowledge you know, doesn't get through. And so a citizens' assembly would be informed, wouldn't it, by experts? Yeah, absolutely. That's the, that's the great thing about it is that um, it, it can be totally informed by, by the experts and it's not going to be on the leash of the, 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 the coal industry, which even uh, the New South Wales government and even the Victorian state government. I mean, v Victoria is currently burning a million tonnes of coal every week. It's, it's hard to put that into perspective, but, like, if you imagine a car that weighs a tonne, imagine a million cars, the equivalent of that in coal is being burnt every week in Victoria. Right? So there's huge amounts of money that's, that's pouring into our politics, it's contaminating our, our politics, and uh, until we can redesign the system, it's, it's not going to change. Well, just to finish, um, sitting on the steps, I've just noticed there's a lot of empty plates all around you. What's, what's that for? Yeah, so there's a plate for every meal that I've uh, missed since I started. And, uh, yeah, there's now 26 plates on, on the steps. And, yeah, it's just a bit of a bit quite symbolic of, yeah. of, uh, of what I'm going through. And I'm, I'm very privileged because I can stop this at any time. I could walk across the street right now and have a sandwich, but many people in the world don't have that privilege. Uh, that they can't decide when they can eat and when they can't eat. And we've just had the news out of Africa last week that there are 45 million people facing uh, starvation because of drought caused by global warming. So, and this is going to affect us all around the world. We're going to have huge food shortages, huge water shortages. Um, so we need to face the truth and we need to demand that our governments take action now. Well, thank you. It's been a great honour for me to sit with you because, honestly, that's an extraordinary thing to do. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Glad to be on your show.